fuck, what's my bit gonna be? No, here's the bit. Here's the bit. <laughs> Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cold exec with heart of steel. He's Iron Man, all jets of place. He fights and fights with repulsor rays. Amazing power, he's Iron Man. I am Iron Man. <laughs> so we have two Iron Man songs here. You have the heavy metal Iron Man song and, and the, the cheesy commercial jingle Iron Man song. And here I am asking... <laughs> Is it too much to ask for both? Hi, welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night, <laughs> episode number I don't fucking know. I'm your host of Master Ceremony, Daniel Richard Craft, and with me I have... Hi, I'm a box of scraps. I want an American cheeseburger, and I want to hold a press conference. Hi, I'm Tony M. Stark. And uh, we have a very special guest today returning. Oh, oh, I'm supposed to say something. I'm Stephen Thronichek. Um, we're talking about Iron Man from 2008, directed by John Favreau. John Favreau of Chef fame? So you're not just like fucking... No, I'm not fucking with Honestly, you. Honestly, Mike, I'm telling you, your money. Yes, Stephen is right. We're talking about the 2008 movie Iron Man, the movie that kicked off the MCU and damned us all to hell. But before we get into the movie overall, uh, what's your history with Iron Man outside of the MCU? As far as 14-year-old me was concerned, before this film came out, Iron Man was a Black Sabbath song off Guitar Hero 1. My diet of comic books growing up was exclusively just old issues that my brother collected that I had to sneak out of his room. You know, like Ninja Turtles, ALF, X-Men. No Iron Man comics in the stack whatsoever from what I can remember. I, I think to echo Rain on a previous episode, the one time I can remember engaging with Iron Man was occasionally playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2 on the Dreamcast. Other than that, I got nothing. Back to you, Tanner. You got any video games? Yes. Yeah, this is what I expected. Tim, you're next. So yeah, as far as history with Iron Man outside of the MCU goes, pretty much nothing. Like I watched that Madhouse anime that aired on G4 forever ago, but that's about it. But I kind of want to just go over my history with the MCU. When we started this channel, I think I kind of had a reputation as uh, the quiet one, the guy who doesn't talk a lot. And the truth is, like, a lot of it was just like outside of memories. I didn't care that much about a lot of the movies we were talking about at the time. Why can't Hollywood ever make a decent comic book movie? But maybe around the time we did Venom, Let There Be Carnage, that I just realized I don't care enough about Marvel movies right now to talk about them. But half a lifetime ago, that wasn't the case. I saw this movie when it came out. I was 15 years old. I went to the theater with my best friend at the time. We had a great time with it, and I was very excited about the prospect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that was being presented, because I liked the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. I loved the Fox X-Men movies, and I was excited to see like a universe where all of these Marvel heroes could play together. And time passed on. I got older. The movies got more formulaic, but I can definitely appreciate its value in popular culture. I'm happy for people who love the movies, and I was very excited to revisit this one for the show. Back to you, Tanner. All right, Tim, Bub, quick pop quiz question, actually. Uh, how do you feel knowing that this movie is as old as you were when you saw it? I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, someone who I expected to actually have an answer to this question. Go ahead. As you know... I'm quite keen on comic books, especially the ones about superheroes. 
As I have stated multiple times on this podcast before, uh, I grew up reading comics and specifically Marvel comics. So there is a history with Iron Man, but not as big of a history with him as you'd expect. Because for the longest time, I just knew him as the guy in the iron suit. I didn't know his uh, secret identity for the longest time. I had no idea who fucking Tony Stark was. So if you asked me who was Tony Stark as a kid, I'd be like, uh, and if you asked me who is Iron Man, I'd be like, oh, he's a guy. He's like in a robot suit and he fires lasers. But there were like occasional instances where I would encounter Iron Man. I would play some of those Marvel versus Capcom games. I think he's in Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I know there was a cartoon um, in the 90s around the same time, and he would like appear on like Spider-Man, the animated series every so often. They had like a lot of crossovers. And I mean, again, I read comics. I read Avengers comics and Iron Man was very much one of the Avengers. So I knew him from all of that. So when they made a movie in 2008, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get to know a little bit more about this character that I've always wanted to know more about because, oh, I was kind of surprised that they were making an Iron Man movie at the time. And I remember liking it at the time so much so that I remember the day that we saw it. It was the day of my uncle's wedding. Like he was getting married that fucking day. We brought my great granddad, who I have no idea if he had Alzheimer's at the time, but he was probably very confused the whole fucking time. We all had a blast. (laughs) And then we went to a wedding immediately afterwards. That's a lot to unpack. Stephen, uh, what's your history with Iron Man outside of the MCU, if any. A lot of my childhood was spent looking up illegal Marvel content on the internet. If anybody remembers the old website HTML Comics where somebody scanned in like the entire catalog of like Marvel and DC Comics pre-1990 onto the internet. One day I showed up and it was gone. (laughs) That's got to be the best part I've ever seen. And then I would also be going onto YouTube and looking up those early 1966 cartoons that I started this out singing the theme song to. So I I knew who Iron Man was. Also, I used to sneak into my neighbor's house because my mom was mad at us for playing video games and playing Marvel Nemesis Rise of the Imperfects with that one GameCube game, fighting game, where once you get further into the game, you could fight with Iron Man. It was always Iron Man versus Spider-Man for some reason, because Spider-Man was like the best character. But yeah, so I kind of knew who what the whole like backstory was and all that. I also did find a bunch of uh, that 90s Iron Man show on YouTube as well back in the day. The one with the really, really like questionable depiction of the Mandarin in it, which if we can talk about the history of the making and scripting of this film, we can certainly talk about questionable depictions of the Mandarin. That character's been uh, loaded from the start since day one. That's the most racist character ever created. <clears throat> My time to shine. Hello. History with Iron Man outside of the MCU you. When I was a kid, there was a little game I used to rent from Blockbuster all the time. Rented it from Blockbuster so much that my parents eventually just bought the damn thing for me, and that video game was Marvel Ultimate Alliance, where Iron Man played a very prominent part in it. Well, a fairly prominent part. The whole, like, first hub world of the game takes place on uh, Stark Tower. Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, which is an adaptation of the uh, terrible comic book Civil War, features Iron Man much more prominently. Uh, Beyond that, I read a lot of comic books growing up. Not a ton of Iron Man comics. I was more into Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, you know, all the, 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 the heavy hitters. But I was familiar with Iron Man. I was pretty... I was familiar enough with him, and when I heard they were making a movie about him, I got so excited, I was like, Iron Man! 
And when I was a kid, I used to write a lot. And I would get, get these notebooks and I would just write stuff in it. And starting in the fourth grade, I want to say, I didn't realize at the time, but in hindsight, I was writing um, Iron Man fan fiction <laughs> about his son, Jack Stark, and uh, his superhero persona, Metal Man. And I uh, just ripped off the plot of the Iron Man Armored Adventures cartoon that was out at the time, along with, this sounds very weird, the plot of the Iron Man movie tie-in game. Oh, man. <laughs> Iron Man Armored Adventures. I remember that now. I just want to get that out of the way uh, that my start of, as a storyteller in earnest starts with Iron Man fan fiction. It's fucking beautiful. Speaking of Iron Man, the movie, the game, the movie, yeah. the anime, the TV show, the movie. We're going to get into our thoughts on Iron Man 2008 overall, starting with Tim, the guy who's never on the Marvel ones. Yeah, uh, I had a blast revisiting it. It definitely holds up from what I remember. It's probably the most timeless MCU movie, at least in my opinion. Like, I thought you said you were done making weapons. It is. This is a flight stabilizer. It's completely normal. It just works so well because it's such a good, like, self-contained, like, I would say this is among the top superhero origin movies, at least for me. Like, I would put Batman Begins and maybe Raimi Spider-Man above it, but, like, it's up there. Immediately establishes Tony Stark as this, like, lovable shithead. It very much does a great job of, like, just establishing him as sort of the front runner of the MCU up until Endgame. And it's just just a good time. I'm happy to have revisited it. Back to you. Good stuff. Good stuff. Joe, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this one. God, this uh, this movie feels so fucking quaint nowadays. Jesus fucking Christ. But you know what? That is absolutely what I love about this movie is just its quaintness. It's very simple, which is funny mm-hmm. considering uh, the stuff that Jeff Bridges has said about the script and the fact that they had no fucking script. <laughs> All the guys are in the studio tapping their foot, looking at the watch. And we're in my trailer trying to figure out our lines, man. You know, not having having a script that that is one way to make a movie wouldn't recommend it and sometimes it does show but 90 percent of the fucking time this movie fucking rocks man holy goddamn shit it's simple it's concise you get like a really solid character movie like tony stark is a wonderful fucking character who goes through a goddamn arc reactor i was gonna i was about to say kind of sort of pun intended there performances all across the board robert Downey fucking Jr. in this. This was his comeback, and he came back in the biggest fucking way possible. Something that we forget nowadays, like, this was a risk. Robert Downey Jr. being the lead of a big comic book movie. Also in the same year, being in Tropic Thunder. This was a fucking risk right out of the gate. I partied with Robert Downey Jr. before I got sober, when it was really fucked up and a lot of fun. And I'm glad that Paramount and Marvel and Kevin Feige were like, yeah, take the risk because he's fucking perfect. And like, we like the other character, like actors and their characters too. Like, mm. we like Pepper Potts. Uh, say what you want about Gwyneth Paltrow, but Gwyneth Paltrow is good. Terrence Howard, he's good. We don't get to see him ever again, but he's good. <laughs> Next time, baby. 
unfortunately, he's not the character that we would get to know later on. But Clark Gregg, fucking Coulson, he comes back. We, we like him. If I had to say there was a weak character, probably Jeff Bridges. Like, not that he's doing a bad job, but it's it's kind of a weak character. <laughs> Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. Practical effects are fucking awesome. The visual effects, like, computer-wise, still fucking hold up. It just fucking holds up, man. It's a really solid movie. And if you just view it as uh, a piece of this bigger puzzle, it works. If you view it as its own thing, it still fucking works. You, you brought up the practical effects. Like, when I was watching that last fight between Robert Downey Jr. and Jeff Bridges, I was just like, is that a real metal helmet? Did I see a real thing? That's incredible. God, the, the fucking Mark II suit-up scene and how fucking real that looks. I would rather take that over... Nanobots! Nanosuits! <laughs> I would much rather take that over the bad effects that didn't hold up at the time in Infinity War ever. Fun fact for you, as far as I'm aware, this is the only Iron Man movie or any movie that Iron Man has appeared in where they actually made a full practical suit. The uh, subsequent movies would still have a decent amount of practicality to them until around Infinity War or all he's ever wearing is a chess piece most of the time for reference. Uh, the big reason why they didn't do anymore is because um, everyone hated working with it. Yeah. Can't imagine why. <laughs> it was annoying to put on. It was annoying to put off. It got hot. It was noisy. There's a fun fact for you, Steven. I saw that you gave Give it a uh, three and a half stars on Letterboxd. Uh, go ahead, uh, let her rip. Good movie. Uh, three and a half is not a bad score. It's a solid, solid film. You know, something that I noticed, especially early on and also at the ending, is that, like, oh, this is actually a movie with uh, lighting and color design, and that's a low fucking bar. <laughs> but uh, what, Matthew Labatique shot this movie? Like, he's good, unless you're in some South American country, but that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> I think that... For the most part, this is a very, very solid film. I think that, like, because I come at it from, like, a script structure way, I don't know if the, it necessarily is able to kind of tackle some of the themes that it's trying to deal with. There's certainly some ideas around uh, depictions of Middle Eastern people post 9-11 going on here mm. that are a little interesting. And even, like, you know, that moment where he goes in there and shoots a tank is like, I know this is a power fantasy and all, that's fine. But why don't we sit here and actually think about the ramifications of said power fantasy? There is a little bit of that going on. But that being said, you know, I, I do think Tony is painted as a selfish bastard who does selfish things. You ever lose an hour of sleep your whole life? I'm prepared to lose a few with you. If anything, I think the script is a really solid script up until Jeff Bridges turns bad, in which it has to rush through the end of its second act at such a fast pace because clearly they don't have a script and clearly the Mandarin was the bad guy in the script up to until about 10 weeks before they started shooting this movie. So it sort of makes sense that um, Jeff Bridges would be his like bad guy stuff would go really quick. I think like that weird sound thing that he uses is like some hacky bullshit. But I will say these movies, there is almost nothing as clever in these MCU movies as the proof that Tony Stark has a heart thing. There is mm -hmm. almost nothing that fucking clever in these movies anymore. Like that whole where she gives him the arc reactor back and it's like, Tony Stark has a heart like that's incredible and like the first half of the final battle is really great where he's like beating the shit and they're like fighting each other on the like freeway or so I think it's kind of hacky how the eventual like defeat happens because 
Again, no script, but that proof that Tony Stark has a heart thing, that's fucking cool. That's good stuff. Good movie, yeah. Definitely has a swingers vibe, you know? Yeah, I, I enjoy that these things could have a fucking swingers vibe back in 2008. <laughs> yeah, but does it have a chef vibe? I don't want it to have chef vibes. <laughs> chef is a bad movie. Austin, on to you. What do you think of Iron Man? What you're about to see is top secret. Okay, so going back to the well on this movie is kind of a tricky situation. I wanted to lasso myself up something novel that's not already all over the internet. So I watched three hours and 42 minutes of bonus features on the Blu-ray, but that wasn't good enough. Nice. But then, like a shining robotic heart in a display case, I found my salvation. A two-hour and 30-minute recording of a live commentary that John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. did for this movie on Saturday, September 6th, 2008 at the Arrow Theater. Little known fact, there is no official director's commentary track for this movie. So the best thing we've got is this obscure-ass bootleg MP3 some dude recorded at an American Cinematheque event. Here are some interesting bits that aren't in the IMDb trivia section, let alone in articles anywhere. Let's start off small with a pair of CGI dice. Jensen and Stark are playing backgammon, and Jensen says 6 and 5 in Persian. Those dice are actually CGI because Favreau went through the trouble of making them match the call. Next one, though, is really funny. When Rhodey is running up to secure Tony after Tony's escape in the Mark 1, you can see Terrence Howard is wearing white gloves, even though no one else is wearing white gloves, because the military crew was fucking with Terrence Howard beforehand, lying about like, oh yeah, all the people in the helicopter crew wear white gloves, dude. Anyway, he showed up looking like a fucking magician while everyone else is in standard issue black gloves. Next up, there's those beloved scenes of the suit getting affixed to Tony's body with all the moving parts and shit, right? Well, for this film to initially get greenlit, they had to cut some of the budget and cut those shots out of the shot plan. They were just going to cut to the suit flying and not getting put on him. But then Favreau went and saw Transformers contacted the studio and was like, hey, apparently Americans love mechanical assembly CGI now, and they gave him the money to order those shots from ILM. Those were almost not in the movie. These next two are what I like to call the kind of like Kubrick combo. First off, the VFX studio that did the heads-up display inside Tony's suit, that's the orphanage out of uh, San Francisco. John Nelson got inspired to do the sort of like impossible inside the helmet shot by looking at a photo of Dave from 2001 A Space Odyssey going through the slits scan sequence at the end. Also, like 2001, the plates for that heads-up display shot were filmed in 70mm because they didn't know how much they needed to punch in, right? Then, the significantly wilder one. Kinda like Kubrick when he got worried about the FBI investigating him after Dr. Strangelove because his set replica of the classified B-52 bomber interior was almost exactly like the real thing. Iron Man actually did draw the attention of the U.S. military on accident. For the scenes in Tony's workshop where he's using all kinds of, like, weird holographic motion control tech, Favreau just kind of told RDJ to like, just move your hands around and shit and VFX will fix it in post. Sometime later after those were produced, the military contacted Marvel asking, how did you know about that? How did you know about this tech? <laughs> Favreau didn't get in any trouble, fortunately, but the military did ask permission to show the film to people as a demonstration of how the tech would work once they got it working. Okay, and then final fun fact. John Favreau showed Edgar Wright a copy of Iron Man before it came out where the Nick Fury scene happened like before the credits. And it was Edgar Wright's idea to put the stinger at the end of the credits. 
possibly to make people want to see it twice because they're going to miss it the first time. So the big twist ending of this long trivia list is those after credit scenes in Marvel movies might actually be Edgar Wright's fault. Thousands upon thousands of movie ushers have suffered because of the dude who made Hot Fuzz and Baby Driver. So yeah, to wrap this up before my battery dies, Iron Man is a really excellent movie that's kind of fun to look back on because it contrasts heavily in some ways with like the safer, more corporate approach Marvel has taken under Disney ownership. It's widely beloved. It's starting an empire. And I'd rather fire off trivia facts and try to figure out some new original way to talk about why it succeeded. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Austin, real quick, uh, if it makes the Edgar Wright fans feel any better, we can blame this on Brian Singer. That shit started with X-Men 3. <laughs> wait, wait, but X-Men 3 was Brett Ratner. Fuck you, Brett Ratner. He ain't gonna be in Rush Hour 3. <laughs> also, fuck you, Brian Singer. Yeah. Um, every time I rewatch House MD, he has a cameo in the first season as like playing himself. And every time I go, huh. It's interesting that it was Edgar Wright's idea to do the after credit scene. That explains a lot about the reason why the other 2008 MCU movie, The Incredible Hulk, has Robert Downey Jr. in it, but he shows up right before the credits. And it is the only MCU movie other than Endgame without even a single post credit scene. I always thought that was weird, but now I wonder if it's just like nobody gave a shit about Louis Luthier or whatever, however the hell you say his name. Louis Leterrier. I'm sorry, you, director look, of Fast he, X. He, he, look, Incredible Hulk is not good, but he basically directed and shot the entirety of that Dark Crystal Netflix show. So, you know, he's fine. Uh, yeah, I'll give him props for that. All right, mine time to shine. Hello. I just watched this movie uh, for the first time in a while earlier today. I watched the Disney Plus IMAX enhanced version. So some shots have really weird negative space on extra headroom. You know, the way God intended. God, this movie is... So fucking good. One thing that uh, stood out to me upon this viewing, though, is uh, how much I like uh, Terrence Howard's roadie. I think him and Downey have better chemistry than Cheadle and Downey does. I think I ultimately like Cheadle's take on the character more, but for this movie and for the Iron Man movies in general, I think Howard is a excellent fit in the part. I like their back and forth. I like his next time, baby. I like his whole, just the little like silly arguments they get into with back and forth. A lot of that's missing from later Rhodey appearances, which yeah, is ultimately fine. They underutilize Rhodey in a bunch of ways. I'm just your babysitter, and so, you know, when you need your diaper change, thank you. Let me know, and I'll get you a bottle, okay? Hey. Hey, Tony. I'm sorry, this is the fun V. The humdrum V is back there. Um, how amazing this movie looks and how this movie is maybe the best movie that endorses doing extrajudicial killings in foreign countries to release some anger. We should all do that. We should all do that. Let's do that right now. I just saw, you know, actually, what's funny is that, so before I watched Iron Man, I I watched Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, which also (laughs) features essentially a guy going to Afghanistan to do extrajudicial killings. Um, But this time it's so he could save another brown guy. That movie was made now, and that this movie was made in 2008, so... Well, to be fair, the Afghanistan war ended yesterday. Sure feels like that sometimes. <laughs> it's very timeless, like Tim was saying, but also very of its era. There's a MySpace joke in the opening scene. That's how long the MCU's been around for. MySpace was still relevant when the first movie came out. Okay. I don't even know if Facebook was like, you could join it if you weren't at an Ivy League school yet when this movie came out. I could be wrong on that. 
I just, I love all the dialogue scenes, obviously, because it's all improvised, but I love the little bits. It's like, have a pizza, take two, take two slices, like all the little bitty bits (laughs) like that. It's a type of humor that I think the MCU doesn't have anymore since they, uh, after Avengers went more in the direction of the Whedonism type quips instead of this just like little spur of the moment type of minor humor that just like makes you laugh so much in hindsight. (laughs) Wait. I have a better idea. For me, I, I felt like I'm back, baby. The moment somebody flashed a peace sign and Tony's like, no gang signs, please. I was like, oh, yeah, this is Iron Man 1. Hell yeah. Yeah, that, we're that back. You know, he he fucks a journalist. I'm just going to say it. This guy fucks. Am I right? Because I'm looking at the rest of you guys. This is the guy in the house doing all the fucking. Am I right? You know I'm right. All the Vegas <laughs> stuff at the beginning, but it's like, again, very much the swingers vibe where it's like. I love Gwyneth Paltrow being like, I do anything that uh, Mr. Stark tells me to, including taking out the trash. Love that. <laughs> I mean, a little misogynistic, but that's kind of the point. Love it. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're just kind of devolving here. So we're actually going to take a brief ad break and we'll discuss more about Iron Man here in a bit. I actually have a question that'll open our general discussion. It'll be a lot of fun. See you in a minute, guys. All you can think about is fucking toys. They're not fucking toys. This is Iron Man, okay? Hello, movie, color, palette of canvas wood. Yes, not wood. (laughs) Anyway, punch drunk love. Mmm, delicious. (laughs) Do you want one of your own of that movie or Iron Man? or perhaps Evan Almighty, then go to moviepallet.com and order one now. But before you hit the press order button, go ahead and enter the code SQUAD15 to save 15% off your order of the Evan Almighty movie palette. All right, general discussion. Okay, guys, so who win and win in a fight, guys? Uh, Tony Stark Iron Man or uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man? Go. Here's the thing with Tetsuo the Iron Man. Tony Stark Iron Man comes at Tetsuo the Iron Man and he like shoots his repulsor rays at them like pew, 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 pew. And the thing is that like Tetsuo gets hit by that but he just like absorbs the energy of it and just grows even bigger like he like Mm -hmm. becomes even more of those like concrete like bars those like metal bars that go into concrete that like hold it together he just gets bigger and bigger until he just beats the shit out of Tony Stark Iron Man (laughs) and it's all over after that I mean I I, I gotta go with Tetsuo the Iron Man (laughs) you know I, I also get bigger and bigger when people shoot their beams at me Tim it sounds like you have something to say sure tony stark iron man could be thanos but he's no match for drill penis it's got to be exactly see how do we know tony stark doesn't have a drill penis with the amount of people that he's fucking at the beginning of this movie he's gonna have to get something replaced his penis because he has an std (laughs) his dick just falls off all right, so I got a question for all of you guys. Um, in this movie, when do you think Iron Man becomes Iron Man? When he says, I am Iron Man. Uh, when Jensen says, don't waste your life. I think I'm leaning more towards Tanner's. Actually, I changed my mind. When he gets bitten by a radioactive iron. There you go. <laughs> um, but I think it's just because like he was fighting it up until that point, and then he's just like, fuck it, I'm Iron Man. I have to agree with Tanner and Tim. If we're talking about like the general arc of the movie, he's definitely like flawed, stupid Tony Stark goes into a Middle Eastern village and shoots everybody until the end of the movie in which he becomes Iron Man. 
I would argue the moment that he becomes Iron Man in this is that moment when he's watching the news. He's seeing all the destruction that his weapons are continuing to do after he shut down the weapons division. The problem has not been solved. And then he decides, fuck it. I've got to do something about it. I got to do extrajudicial killings in the Middle East. <laughs> yes, like you do. I would argue that that is the moment where he finally steps up and becomes Iron Man. But that's just a personal thing. Honestly, all of those answers I could also buy as the moment he becomes Iron Man. Uh, just the fucking scene in Infinity War where Thanos is like, I know you, Iron Man. And he's like, yeah, you do. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I heard about those extrajudicial killings you did in the Middle East, man. That was fucked up. What the not fuck, the, look, 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 Iron Man. Iron Man was only trying to perfectly balance the members of the Ten Rings, as all things should be. You know, he's <laughs> listen, listen. According to the official report. So another little fun fact. This has been buried on the Internet since 2008. After Tony defeats Obadiah, he sees holding a newspaper that says who is the Iron Man? The photo on the front was actually a shot that this photographer, Ronnie Adams took on the set while mm. hidden in a bush. It was the first unofficial photo from the set to go up online hosted by the now defunct IESB.net. Favreau thought it was going to be hilarious to put that photo in the movie on the newspaper but then the photographer filed a lawsuit trying to sue Marvel for five million dollars <laughs> so it was taken out of like the home releases until very recently and now you can like see it on Disney Plus again. Well, I like to imagine that there was some lawyer at Disney's like, buy the photo. So, but circling back to the whole I am Iron Man thing, I was going to bring this up in Trivia Corner, but I kind of want to bring this up now because of what it did. So, fun fact, Tony Stark saying I am Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. ad-libbed that, and Feige, I think, was the one that went, yeah, let's keep that. So, in a roundabout way, it's Robert Downey Jr.'s fault that nobody in the MCU has a secret identity anymore. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, it actually makes perfect sense for Tony Stark's character. He loves the limelight. There's no way in hell he wouldn't reveal himself immediately, but Circling back to that, do you guys remember watching this movie at the first time? Because up until that point, the only superhero movies we really had were Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. Mm. What do all these characters have in common? They have very separate super and private lives. And then this movie just went, boom, no secret idea. I, I was like yeah. 10 when I saw this and I was like, what the fuck? I thought that was illegal. So that was definitely like a big groundbreaking thing. You know, Batman, secret identity, Spider-Man, secret identity, Iron Man. Fuck it, I'm Iron Man. <laughs> One cool uh, VFX fact from the bonus features is that for that scene of uh, Tony using the foot thrusters to fly, they didn't want it to look like a normal wire rig because Favreau was like, oh, people can spot those at this point. So they did like crazy demon shit and made it so that RDJ's weight was actually being supported by his feet while on the wire rig instead of like a chest harness or a shoulder harness or whatever, which is part of the reason the effect looks so unique. Can I yeah. just bring up the fucking dunce robot really quick the best <laughs> character in the mcu right here the guy he's like if you fire extinguish me while i'm if i'm while i'm not on fire i'm gonna donate you to a community college <laughs> so when tanner was bringing like funny bits up that like you don't get that kind of humor in the mcu anymore like that was probably the bit that was the funniest to me was the fire extinguisher <laughs> i love uh, how dummy. that arm just keeps coming back i was watching iron man 3 this morning because i was like oh right Shane Black while they were shooting this movie they would call Shane Black at night and ask him for like bits for this film because 
Yeah, that's how he got involved with this. Yeah, because they were they were shooting it and they didn't have a script really, so they were like getting Shane Black to come and help them out at nighttime, kind of like Gladiator, whatever they were doing, like writing shit at night or so. But so yeah, Shane Black did some ghostwriting on this. But in Iron Man Three, I was watching it and that robot arm shows up and he literally has a hat, like a triangle hat that says "Dunce" on it. Ah, uh, dummy. I love the idea that they were calling him at night, like somehow like Ike. Perlmutter just wasn't uh, being put in the loop about this or whatever. Like, they were just like, Shane, we need to sneak on set again. A dog ate script. You know, that also explains the deleted scene where Tony Stark turns to the camera and says, autism is the next stage of human evolution. <laughs> that deleted scene well, finally makes a lot more sense. I will say, I will say, I, I was listening to a podcast recently, and the person who runs that podcast said that they knew that one of the guys who was part of the editing team on The Predator, and that that guy said, I spent the last year of my life turning the Predator from a movie that Shane Black made into what it is today because the studio saw the Shane Black cut, which is like done without VFX. And we're like, fuck that. We're not doing that. We're going to change this completely. So I don't know necessarily if the autism is the next level of human evolution is really that guy's <laughs> fault. But that is funny. All right, so um, I, I make a joke about this in my intro bit where it's like Tony Stark, the first thing he wants to do uh, when he gets back to the U.S., he wants an American cheeseburger and he wants to hold a press conference. Why the fuck does he go to Burger King? He lives in Los Angeles. I, I have outside, the outside, I was going to say, there is a Burger King tie-in for the Iron Man movie. I understand that. But like in universe, he lives in Los Angeles. There's got to be like so many really good local burger joints that probably make better burgers than Burger King. Yeah, uh, Robert Downey Jr. attributes uh, his sobriety, his continued sobriety to Burger King. Because one night he was just high out of his gourd in a car having his whole life fucked up and he ate a Burger King burger and he was like, this is so shitty, I have to rethink my fucking life. <laughs> Shall we also bring up the bit that Robert Downey Jr. was paying $500,000 for this movie because studios couldn't really insure him anymore? Yeah, John Favreau had to fight for Robert Downey Jr. to be in this movie, and Favreau specifically said, Robert Downey Jr. basically lived the Tony Stark lifestyle for a bit. That makes him perfect for this, and he was right. I can't imagine anyone else playing Tony Stark Iron Man. Wasn't it Sam Rockwell who was the other guy that was on the board? Was it? I don't know who I heard. So Tom Cruise was attached for a while. But that was like late 90s. He dropped out because they wouldn't give him full creative control. Also, that Jeff Vintar script that was mentioned on the Ant-Man episode with Modoc was commissioned because Tom Cruise got involved with an Iron Man movie. I'm glad we know who to blame for that now. But yeah, Rockwell, I think, was like second in line. And then they gave Rockwell the villain in Iron Man 2 because he, they had to pass up on him. Honestly, fair. Like, he's, he's, he steals the movie in Iron Man he's 2. He's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Hammer Industries 20. I'd like to point out that that test pilot survived. I think I'm so happy they're finally bringing his character back. I'm pretty sure he's going to be in Thunderbolts or Armor Wars or something. That's pretty exciting. I know he technically came back in that fucking, like, all hail the king one shot, which Marvel made as like a, okay, here's the real Mandarin little bullshit thing. And then five years later, they really gave us the real Mandarin and they got uh, the best actor in the world to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad. The movie was terrible. 
I think the first two thirds of Shang-Chi are great. The script's yeah. a disaster, guys. <laughs> I honestly forgot Shang-Chi existed. You can all eat my ass. So let's get into some uh, Tanner's trivia corner. Uh, the, the Iron Man Mark I armor. So that's a full suit. It weighed 90 pounds, nice. uh, which honestly uh, sounds less than what it looks. This is true. Yeah, yeah it looks heavier. The people at the um, Stan Winston workshop said if they could right. do it again today, it would only weigh 40 pounds, if only. Speaking of Stan Winston, this was actually the last movie he completed before his death. Rest in peace to a legend. Paul Bettany recorded all of his lines in Jarvis in under two hours and didn't even know what movie he was doing it for. Very funny <laughs> considering that Marvel later just uh, completely expanded his career. And speaking of Jarvis, Jarvis in the comics is, is, a, is a person, is a human. Yep. is an actual butler. In the movie, they changed him to an AI in order to avoid uh, comparisons with uh, Alfred Pennywhiff, the origin of Batman's butler. Sorry, I, I always uh, quote the title of that show whenever Alfred Pennyworth, the origin of Batman's <laughs> butler, is brought up. <laughs> Sam Rockwell and Clive Owen were both considered for the part of Iron Man. Uh, however, Favreau always maintained he wanted uh, Downey Jr. Where did Clive Owen go? Like, he, he was in Jamini Man and then nothing else. I'm sorry, I was just reading the thing and I just uh, discovered that uh, apparently uh, the version of the script of the Mandarin in it, he was specifically an Indonesian terrorist. Uh, considering the other things in this movie, I'm sure that would have been swell. Wait, what the fuck? According to this, Hugh Jackman was offered the role of Tony Stark. I don't know how accurate that is. I, I don't buy it. That would have been a nightmare. Yeah. Can we all take just a quick moment to pour one out for Degree Scott, who turned down Wolverine to be in Mission Impossible 2? Oh, what just a, a second. Just a second. Anyway, does it, do any of you know who Degree Scott is? I'll admit, I don't. This is going to be my last one because we've already gotten most of the good stuff out of the way. Uh, this is a new piece of trivia, but apparently the actor that asks Tony what happened in Afghanistan at the press conference, that is Billie Eilish's father. All right, moving on what? to final thoughts. <laughs> Austin, we'll start with you. Uh, do you like RoboCop, but you're mad that you can't show RoboCop to little kids? Iron Man is the movie for you. Uh, you know what's really cool about RoboCop? That scene where he shoots the guy in the dick. <laughs> Joe, moving on to you. All right. Truth is... Movie good. <laughs> Tim, go. Truth is... Joe stole my bed. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, go. Final thoughts. Uh, why don't these movies look good anymore? I mean, I know why, because the come on, like the assimilation, commodification of different like display settings or blah, 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 and the amount that they have to do digitally means that they can't really, they, they want it to look good on all monitors. So it's like the full Netflix fucking thing where they can't make these things look good anymore. But like, man, this really looked incredible. Okay, so final thoughts. There's like one wild scene in the first act of this movie where him and Rhodey are on a plane and all the stewardesses are like serving them towels and shit like that and then it just cuts to Rhodey and him shit faced on the plane and the stewardesses are like stripping down like dancing in front of them and I'm like okay look with all the corporatized like Disney bullshit all I could think was this is the funniest thing I've seen in these movies I mean besides like the casual misogyny of the whole thing we are in 2008 after all it's like I mean I, I get 
get these guys. I get these characters, at least, with like weird shit like that that would never, ever show up in these movies. I'm thinking about Infinity War where like him and Pepper are like together and they have like a little peck in the park right before Doctor Strange shows up and it's like, there's like no sexuality whatsoever to any of these things and it's like, oh, strippers on a plane, let's go. Iron mm-hmm. Man, yeah. <laughs> All right, my final thoughts. All right, here we go. Um, This is my favorite movie we've covered in the past month that has a Tom Morello cameo. <laughs> Even better than Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Well, yeah, it is, because that movie wasn't very good. Shots fired. Wrong. You know who else has a Tom Morello cameo inside of them? Who? You! Me! <laughs> the person uh, watching slash listening to this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. Tom Morello was inside of you. <laughs> uh, speaking of having sex every night, if you are listening to this on any of the audio platforms or on, thank you oh so very much for listening. We really appreciate it. How about you go ahead and uh, leave a review? It helps boost us in the algorithm or something. And if you are watching this on Spotify video, we hope you enjoyed this uncensored version of Bomb Squad Movie Night, much like a Rage Against the Machine album. How about you mosey on down over to our Patreon? Throw a couple bucks our way. And if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you oh so very much for being Tom Morello. How about you go down to the comment section below and let me know, what's your favorite Rage Against the Machine album you've done? (laughs) (laughs) And and while you're down there, if you're not Tom Morello, what do you think of Iron Man? What do you think of the kickoff of the MCU? Uh, What do you think of Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man? Do you think any of the other actors could have been a good fit? Comment below and let me know. And while you're down there, hit the like button so you know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you know exactly when we upload new videos. Tune in next week when we talk about uh, another 2008 blockbuster, my favorite movie of 2008. Go Speed Racer! Go Speed Racer! Go Speed Racer! Go! The best Wachowskis movie, hot take in my opinion, uh, Speed Racer. So tune in then. It's going to be a lot of fun. We might actually have seven of us on that one, so we'll see. Tune in then. Bye! Farewell.